You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Kentucky comes into this game riding a 14-game win streak. North Carolina trying to be the first to ever go to a 20th Final Four. And here are the starters. Four underclassmen for Kentucky with Willis the Lone Senior. Five upperclassmen for the Tar Heels. And a pair of Hall of Fame coaches on the benches. Each having already been inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Roy Williams with over 800 career wins total. And Coach Calipari trying to take Kentucky for the fifth time under his stewardship to the Final Four. And here we go, getting started with the Tar Heels. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's good, everybody? This is the second, number two, we made the number two, second edition of the throwback here on the Inside Carolina network conglomeration of podcasts. You guys are used to Inside Carolina putting out great content, and we're lucky enough to to be a podcast from Inside Carolina. So with that, I want to give a special shout-out to uh, Johnny T-Shirt, one of Inside Carolina's longtime sponsors, Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street or JohnnyT-Shirt.com. I picked up some shirts from them this past weekend. They were having a 20% sale. You throw the 10% from uh, IC Premium subscribers on top of it. You get a whopping 30 off. And I know I'm speaking for at least one of my my co-hosts today, Sherelle, who's a, a total Nike-holic. Um, you know, getting Nike shirts for cheap is a pretty pretty nice win. So want to give a big shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt. Hope you guys will give them some love. Um, you know, order some stuff online. You can pick it up in store. Or they'll ship it to you so you can maintain your quarantine and your social distancing and all of that good stuff. But we want to make sure we're taking care of local businesses, especially someone like Johnny Teacher who takes care of us and takes care of all of, you know, in South Carolina by supporting content and, and helping us to get all this good stuff out there to you guys. Today on The Throwback, we're looking at the 2017 Elite Eight game for Carolina basketball against Kentucky. Took place in Memphis. Today I am pleasured and thrilled and absolutely over the moon to have with me uh, G-Reg, Greg Barnes from uh, Inside Carolina. You see and hear from him all the time. Uh, he's basically the face of the organization. And then also um, a guy that goes a long way back with me, Sherelle, don't call me Cheryl McMillan. Uh, I'd like to introduce both of those guys. Guys, how y'all doing? Very good, Joey. Thanks for having us on for this this bonanza. Who would have thought two boys from Hope Mills, North Carolina would be on an in, in Inside Carolina podcast together. So ready to go. Man, preach. Preach. Um, yeah, I'm glad to have you guys here. And it's going to be really cool because if you guys are used to Inside Carolina podcast, Greg and Sherelle, uh, along with Mr. Moran and a couple of others, are usually your go-tos for basketball. So it made a lot of sense. And I'm lucky that their schedules worked out to be able to join us on this one today. Uh, remember, guys. This podcast is all about just nostalgia. We want to feel the nostalgia. We want to feel the jumping in the Wayback Machine and, and thinking about good times. And I'll be honest, this this game is probably one of the ones that, in, at least in, in modern history and recent memory, is, is probably one of the best times that Tar Heel basketball fans can think of. Um, just giving you kind of the, the rewind and kind of some context of this game. Why did we pick this game? Well, we just had the three-year anniversary 
on March the 26th of, of 2017. Um, you know, this was a, it's obviously a huge game because it was a rematch from their barn burner earlier in the year that Kentucky actually won 103 to 100, which was a breakneck pace. Uh, I think some folks are still probably catching their breath from that. Uh, and coming into the game, this is Carolina as the one seed in the region, uh, coming in at 30 and seven. And UK was the two, coming in at 32 and five. All right, Sherelle, Greg, if you guys can think to what your memory was before we rewatched it, before going back and hitting play again. What was your memory of this game? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of obvious. I don't want to – There's, I guess there's no need to bury the lead, but obviously the, the game-winning shot um, kind of sticks out in your mind. But uh, beside that, I, I had forgotten um, there's a stretch in the first half, I guess we'll talk about later, that if you went back and looked at it and just looked at it on paper, you would say, oh, North Carolina lost by 20 because of what happened – during the stretch in the first half. So that's something I had kind of forgotten about um, from the game. But obviously, the, the Luke May shot is the first thing. When you say Carolina, Kentucky 2017, the Luke May shot is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, there's a lot of things that come to mind, to be honest. But but really what stood out to me is I also made the mistake, and punish me as you will, Joey. I went back and watched the Kentucky game in Vegas on my birthday, December 17th which is one of the all-time great games uh, of college basketball. There's no extra credit here, Greg. No extra I'm credit. Trying. I'm trying. I'm at home with kids. I mean, there's, we're limited here. Um, but that was a fantastic game. And that was the kind of game that's, you know, Duke Carolina's always got good games. Kentucky, North Carolina has a lot of those same games, and that was one of them. And so when you watch that game and then kind of watch what happened in March, uh, just two, two of the best games – of college basketball that year, and they just happened to be you know, the same opponents. And so uh, I really had kind of thought about the the December game going into it for whatever reason. I, like Terrell said, the the Luke shot for sure. Uh, but I just remember how good that first game was, and then I rewatched both of them and just two incredible games. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Sherelle obviously is going to take the softball and hit it well out of out of, out of the park here. But then, you know, Greg, you make a great point. That December game was was NBA caliber with NBA guys all over the floor. And one of the things going into it for me was I'd forgotten that Theo Pinson didn't play that game, the first one. So being able to see him jump in and how he changed the game, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we'll, we'll give kind of the quick rundown of, of how both teams got here. Uh, Kentucky had beaten a 15 seed, a 10, and a 3 in Northern Kentucky, Wichita State, and UCLA. Carolina had beaten Texas Southern, had eked out a kind of a come from behind against Arkansas the Sunday previously. And uh, then number four, Butler, which was, ironically, as Rail mentioned him earlier, uh, Luke May's first double-double. So, you know, we're rolling in this game in Memphis. Uh, the rest of the Final Four is already set. Uh, you got, you know, Jim Nance, Raff, and Grant Hill on the call. So you've got, the, you've got, their, a, you've got their A crew calling the game. And so here we are. Uh, game tips. Guys, what, what do you kind of feel like were the were the big major events of the game? What were the things that, especially in the first half, that that when you're watching it, you're like, oh man, that was that was a big deal. Whether it was a a major turning point or something that happened with you know a specific player. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit and and uh, foreshadow what some of my my big moments were, but I think it's important to talk about what happened before the game. Uh, as we're sitting there in Memphis before the game even tips off. Uh, the concern was Joel Berry because, as everybody remembered, he sprained his right ankle against Texas Southern in that opener that you mentioned. 
And then, lo and behold, after the Butler game, they practice on Saturday for Kentucky. They're practicing a zone. So you can only imagine what that's like. And Joe Barry steps backwards, steps on Kennedy Meek's foot, and twists uh, that right ankle again. And so we were not sure if he was going to be able to go and how effective he would be before the game even started. And so we, as writers, we're always taking down notes. Okay, well, this is what we have to watch out for during this game. So the buildup to that game, especially the hours before tip, was the fact that, hey, Barry is going to be limited at best. How is that going to change the dynamic of this game? And so that, that was really the, the key storyline entering tip. Barry. Oh, yes. Wow. A little kiss from a little guy. Nice hesitation to freeze. Boy, this has to be feeling awfully familiar to last week. Timeout, Kentucky. If that was Joel Berry at his at his limited condition, whew, uh, you kind of wonder what would have happened if he would have been at full strength. Sherelle, what do you got? Uh, yeah, Greg kind of took mine. He 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 went there, uh, but it was all about Joel Berry, and uh, it's something that Carolina fans have been used to as far as their point guards and injuries when it comes to crucial games in March. So uh, I think everybody was having a little bit of fear because of what happened to Kendall Marshall against Creighton. Uh, to some degree, what happened to Ty Lawson uh, against uh, I can't remember who that was uh, against LSU when he's coming into the tournament that year. You know, back to Derek Felton '93. It's just been a history of Carolina point guards being banged up going into the tournament, and I think uh, everyone was just a little bit nervous because it in Memphis, you know, it was a large Kentucky contingent. There were a lot of Carolina fans there, but it felt like a road game, and you didn't expect to go in just like you didn't expect uh, to win in 2012 against Kansas in Kansas without uh, Kendall Marshall, it kind of felt, you know, kind of had that same feeling that it's going to be very difficult for them to go and win in Memphis against Kentucky without Joel Berry. So that, to me, that was the the biggest storyline. You know, Luke May, what he had done Friday, I don't think anyone expected a repeat of that, but it really was all about Joel Berry. I think it's amazing that, that quickly you went back and, and hit a grand slam of awful Carolina point guard injuries in an answer. If you'd have gone any further, if you'd have mentioned something about Kenny Smith, I probably would have thrown up. Um, but you know what? Those, that's, those are great points, guys, because I think that especially late in the game, you know, when, when Barry was able to just kind of control the tempo and, and even times where he seemed a little out of control for a guy that was hurt, he was absolutely a major cog in, in what was going to be a, a Carolina win. Um Flow of the game. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I mean, I I kept feeling like it was just, you know, the thing was Carolina's counterpunch. What did you guys take away from how the game flowed, especially whether it's a tempo or just, you know, whether it was whether it was runs versus droughts? How did y'all feel about that? Well, well I think – go ahead, Trail. I might take yours, but, I, I you know, going back and thinking about the game, you know, obviously you start thinking about the last five minutes, the runs and the Kentucky run and the Carolina run, then the Kentucky run, then the Luke May shot. But to me – the 15-12 mark in the first half is like kind of when North Carolina saved itself. So um, not to go too much play-by-play, play, but it's 11-7 uh, to 7 with UNC. UNC's up by four with 15-12 uh, left in the first half. That's when Joel Berry sprains or does something to his left ankle that causes him discomfort, and he has to leave. Now, so Joel Berry's out. Theo Pinson has two fouls. Seventh Woods comes in and picks up two fouls within 35 seconds, right? And so Carolina's up by four. 
somehow, some way, Stillman White, you know, still uh, who started the game against Kansas, coincidentally, back in 2012 when Kendall Marshall got hurt, comes in for seventh woods. Um, he has uh, a layup uh, while he's there. He draws two fouls on De'Aaron Fox in a few seconds. Um, Luke May hits a three, and Seventh Woods has an assist to Tony Bradley for two points. So in that segment, when Carolina was uh, up four and Joel Berry was out, they played even, and they did it because Seventh Woods, Tony Bradley, Luke May, and Stillman White made plays. And to me, that was the most important, not the most important stretch game, but probably one of the two or three most important stretches of the game, just because you had players who at that time were considered, uh, you know, I guess frontline players or starters who really contributed and held even until Joe Barry came back in the game. Yeah, Trail completely stole everything I was going to say, Joey. But I'll add this. The other player that, that stepped up and played well during that stretch was Nate Brett. And uh, when you've got four starters out of the game against that Kentucky lineup, and for them to over a two-minute stretch to play even, that was critical. And Joe Barry, as we mentioned already, he was already nursing a, a right ankle injury. Less than five minutes in, he sprained his left ankle. And I remember talking to him after the game. He was crying in the locker room when Doug Halverson took him back there because he did not think he was going to be able to go. He was already in so much pain because of his right ankle and his left ankle because he, he said what had happened. You know, sometimes when somebody steps on your foot, you, know, you land on somebody's foot and it rolls you don't have a lot of weight already on your ankle. So it hurts, but it's not as bad as maybe it looks. But he had taken off and pressed off. And when he did that, his foot somehow rolled. And he said doing that makes it tremendously worse. Um, and so he was literally crying in the locker room because he thought that his his game was going to be over. His, his career was going to, or season was going to end because he could not get back out there. And during that time is when Stillman White not only did he have a layup, Shrell, what kind of layup was it? It was a reverse. <laughs> it was reverse. <laughs> it was re- it was classic, classic Stillman White. Like you, like you guys act like you haven't seen Stillman White doing up and under before. Come on. That's right. That's right. This kid plays with confidence. Hey, if you go against Joel Berry every day in practice, you're a great point. My, my thing is, if you – you, you're talking to yourself in October 2016, and you're saying, hey, it's March 2017, and this is the lineup North Carolina has on the court against Kentucky in the Elite Eight. It's Stillman White, it's Nate Britt, it's Justin Jackson, it's Luke May, and it's Tony Bradley. You know, I think, you know, you would have had a, like a nervous breakdown if you were a Carolina fan because Tony Bradley, uh, you know, struggled down the stretch of that season. Like he was really good at the beginning, and then he had an injury. I think it was like a concussion. He kind of tapered off there the last couple of months. Uh, Luke May, no one knew that he was, well, the UNC staff knew he was capable, but no one in the public really knew he was capable of what he did against Butler and Kentucky at that point. And then Stillman White and Nate Britt. And then you have, of course, Justin Jackson, who, you know, kind of plays every minute of every game, it seems like. But that was is not a lineup that you would have felt confidence in. And it was very uh, Coach Smithian, if that's a phrase, of Roy Williams to go with that lineup at that time. Now, he, he didn't have much of a choice because of the foul trouble. I mean, and Theo Pinson didn't come back in uh, a couple of minutes later. But just the, the fact that they were able to hold even and not get down by 10 or 15 or 20 when, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk and, you know, Idris Adebayo and all those guys are going off um, just speaks volumes to how they build rosters and how they build continuity and how anyone is ready to step up pretty much at any time 
um, whether it's Kentucky in December or Kentucky in the Elite Eight. I love that you watch games that way, Sherelle, and, and you kind of notice the the lineups, you know, however janky they may be, you know, the lineups that are actually on the, the court at that time. Uh, Carolina got uh, 19 minutes out of Nate Britt, Stillman White, and Seventh Wood combined in, a, in an Elite Eight game uh, against Kentucky. And uh, I'm like you, if, if you'd have told me that, you know, way back at the beginning of the season, I would have I would have lost my mind. And I think that kind of leads into one of the things that, that jumped out at me about this game was just, and I just do want to caveat this a little bit. Maybe it's just because of, of seeing the season that we just saw most recently, but this Carolina team was so stinking deep. I mean, they ran 10 guys out before you got to, I think the, the under eight in the first half. I mean, they had played 10 men and that's, I think to your point also guys, and Greg, you mentioned it, that being able to get those guys in and have them get good minutes. Meanwhile, Kentucky on the other other side is dealing with some foul trouble with their big players, uh, specifically De'Aaron Fox. Uh, that that literally, I think, buoyed them through the first. Um, any major con- controversies in this game? Do you feel like I, I've got one, but I want to see what you guys think. Greg, did you have anything that you felt like was a just a big head scratcher? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, from the North Carolina side of things, not really. Uh, you mentioned referencing things to this year. I mean, Justin Jackson missing a free throw there with 14 seconds to play. Uh, that could have come back to really bite him in the rear. He avoided that. Uh, Roy Williams does not call a timeout after Monk hits his three with you know, nine seconds left. That could have received a lot of criticism. Both those situations played out. So I really think that the biggest controversy, and it ended up being a really big deal, just not from a Carolina side of things, was John Higgins. And you know, after that game in classic – John Calipari fashion uh, has opens his post game news conference by saying, you know, it's amazing that we were in that game where they practically fouled out my whole team. Amazing that we had a chance. That is his direct. That is the most classic Cal thing ever. I'm glad you said that, Greg. It absolutely is. So the the count was 1918 in fouls, but as you said, uh, Monk and Fox, and I guess it was Bam had the majority of those fouls. But that whole situation exploded after Cal said that, led to the point where Higgins and his wife had to file a lawsuit against Matt Jones at Kentucky Sports Radio later that year because they were getting death threats and people were going on his personal business, like on Yelp or whatever, and writing all these negative reviews just to get back at him. So that was a significant controversy, but it was months later. Yeah, I, I don't have uh, another uh, controversy per se. That was to me that was the main one. Um, I think I, I think the officiating in that game, and I don't like talking about officiating, but it was a storyline after the game. I would say it was uneven, un- unevenly even, and in that I mean there were a, a lot of calls that, that I think both sides kind of scratched their head at. Um, I think Kennedy Meeks maybe uh, roughed up her, uh, Bam Adebayo a couple of times down low. And I also think there were times where Joel Berry got hacked. And, uh, you know, uh, there was a play uh, probably in the last minute where Carolina is up five and Joel Berry is driving and they called him for an offensive foul. Uh, he did have a little bit of a hook, but that's just to me, it was kind of interesting timing because um, I think he actually made the shot and that would have put Carolina up seven. Um, they ended up getting up seven because of some Theo Pinson free throws, but that would have put them up seven uh, with, you know, like a minute left. Um, so that call was questionable. And there was that kind of 
uneven unevenness throughout the game for me for uh, for both teams. I think that's a great way to put it, that it was uh, evenly uneven. That's a nice turn of phrase there. Yeah, I actually noted in my notes that I felt like Carolina got a lot of calls in the first half. Um, and then I, to, to balance it out, it's funny, I do remember specifically that that push-off that I you know I feel like it probably would have been a play on, but uh, the push-off they called to Barry, called on Barry down towards the end of the game. All right, guys, aside from the obvious, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Luke May shot off the table here. What is your timeless highlight of this game? Like if you've got one nuclear moment is, is kind of the way I like to phrase it. If you've got one nuclear moment that plays in your head, what was your timeless highlight of this game? And it can't be the Luke May buzzer beat. I mean, can it be the Malik Monk shot then? Because <laughs> I mean, that was—I mean, that was—I mean, that that whole last minute for from Kentucky was kind of incredible. I mean, Carolina. I guess we can get into this later too. They they Carolina a bit there um, in the last minute, being up seven and had, needing the biggest shot of Luke May's career to win the game. Uh, but you know, De'Aaron Fox hits a three from the left wing, and then Malik Monk hits a tough three, and then. Uh, Justin Jackson misses the or Justin Jackson gets a layup to put Carolina back up three again uh, after Monk had hit a three to cut it to one and then he misses the free throw and then Monk comes off of that screen over two defenders one who's six five six six and one who's six eight and just hits as Jim Nance said an incredible shot um, so to me that if you take the Luke May shot away um, just that last minute uh, everybody hitting just big shot after big shot after big shot um, Luke May making big plays and just that last minute I guess would be my highlight then because so much happened from UNC up seven with 53 seconds left to Luke May shot going in with 0.3 seconds left. Yeah I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to go final 10 seconds not including Luke's shot because a bunch of things happened there that were critical. Uh, the monk shot was phenomenal. I mean <laughs> how he got that off and made it was just impressive. He had two guys draped all over him. I thought Jackson was right in his face a heck of a shot. But Kennedy Meeks, because he had been around the program for so long, he understood that Roy Williams wants to push the ball. He wants to attack. And so when he got the rebound, he did not sit there looking around saying, okay, do we call timeout? Do we try to set something up? What do we do? He quickly inbounded the ball to Theo Pinson. And in talking with the coaching staff later, uh, they said that was a big part because you know Calipari likely wanted to call timeout quickly to set up defense. Kennedy Meeks having the quick thinking in that moment prevented that from happening. So he inbounds to Theo. And I think Kentucky did the right thing in terms of taking away Joel Berry. And if you if you watch that final play, they also took away Justin Jackson. Uh, and because Theo Pinson did a good job pushing, by the time he gets to half court, it's two on two. It's him and Luke May against, I guess it was Fox and Derek Willis. And in talking with yep. Theo Pinson after the game, Penson said it was pretty easy for me. He was attacking the rim. And if Derek Willis left Luke May to crash down in the paint to take away the layup, he was going to hand off to Luke. If Willis stayed with Luke, then Theo was going to the rim against Fox trying to score. Willis collapsed into the paint. Theo tosses it out to Luke. And, and this game's history, and that's why we're talking about it right now. Uh, so two really heady plays by veteran players and, and Kennedy Meeks and Theo Penson in that final 10 seconds. That's an amazingly solid breakdown on both sides, guys. I, I agree with Rail because the you know the that last minute was just one of those where even non-smokers would have to go have a cigarette break, right? And and Greg, to your point, just the dissection of what was going through those players' thoughts, specifically Pinson's kind of if A then B, and then finding a way just to basically you hand it off to 
basically hand the ball off to Luke was was so fortuitous. Um, mine was actually one that that didn't have anything to do with the end of the game, but it did have something to do with waking Carolina up. Uh, if you remember, they basically went to sleep from like the three minute mark left in the first half until in the second half, right after the under sixteen out of the timeout. Justin Jackson gets a four point play. That's mine. Um, and I remember, uh, I almost, ju- I probably jumped off my couch when I watched this in real time, uh, three years ago, but I remember that was the one where I'm like, okay, they're, they're not going to totally, you know, fold over and die. At least this one guy right here, um, you know, the, the all Americans going to, is going to hit a, a deep shot and hit, go back and hit the free throw right after it. So I, that, that was one for me. And I remember that being probably one of the biggest four point plays that I've probably ever seen. Jackson and hit on a shot by Mark, and it could be a four-point play out of the break. Well, we talked about that size disparity, and he made jack him as quick as anybody. Yeah, I'm going to add so one more, Joey. Can I add one more there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked Please about do. it earlier. With um, We talked about Roy having the luxury of playing some guys in the first half to steal some minutes. The, the fact that he was able to do that, the fact that he was able to do that against Butler – really set up this game and set up Luke May to have the success that he had. We talk a lot about Luke, the player who struggled mightily in this game because of the way that Kentucky was playing defense was Isaiah Hicks. Um, he had really struggled, and they, they really were not able uh, to get him going. And so, you know, I think with about seven or eight minutes left, Roy made this decision that, hey, Luke's having some success. He's given us some offense. Isaiah's really struggling. I'm taking Isaiah out, and we're going to ride Luke to the end. And that was there's a bunch of coaching decisions here. Uh, you, during that stretch when North Carolina was not scoring, Roy switches to zone to slow down Kentucky. Brilliantly, it worked. Uh, he puts in Luke for the final eight minutes. Brilliantly, it worked. He didn't call a timeout with nine seconds left. Brilliantly, it worked. He did the thing with what we talked about earlier with Stillman and Nate Britt and all the bench guys in, on the floor in the first half. So he executed a lot of strategic moves throughout this game that were very beneficial, but choosing to go with Luke instead of Isaiah down the stretch, I think was the biggest one. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because, because Isaiah did, you know, and you hate to see it for a senior, but luckily, you know, they would go on and play more games and he would, he would get chances to redeem himself. Uh, but absolutely. That was a, at the time you probably could have questioned Roy for that, for that, that decision. And then like always, or like, to, like nearly always it, it turns out, you know, it turns out turning up roses. Joey, and one thing you, you said, Isaiah being a senior, and that kind of <clears throat> triggered something for me. Like, we haven't put that storyline uh, in this yet. The fact that all these guys who uh, were starters and, and playing minutes were on the 2016 team. And so this was the, kind of the, the start of the redemption tour, which kind of is what the whole tournament run started to be known as. Um, but Without this game, they obviously can't get back and, and win the national championship and kind of redeem what happened in 2016. So there was that added pressure, too. Uh, so, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Carolina team in, in the past you know, 30 or 40 years that has this kind of pressure on them just because they're so close to getting back to the Final Four. They're so close to reaching the goals. They're so close to winning one for Marcus and winning one for Bryce and winning one for Joel James. Um, but... And they're up seven with a minute left. And then in a flash, it's gone. Um, so I, I think that that context is important to to lay out um, as far as this game is concerned, because, you know, it's it's 
it was it for this that particular iteration of North Carolina because Hicks and Britt and Meeks were leaving. And so the team was going to be very different no matter what happened the next season. And more than likely, Justin Jackson was leaving too, which he ended up doing. So no matter what, you know, this was the end of that run with that group that started, I guess, in 2015. Um, and, and so that pressure is, is there too in everything that, they're do, everything that they're doing in this game. Absolutely. And again, it, it made the national championship win that much more poetic for that, that group of players. Um, let's move on. We've talked about a couple of individual, uh, individual efforts and, and individual players. This is a segment I like to call the show. I like to call it this guy, a la, you know, John Gruden, when he used to do his NFL draft analysis, this guy is going to blah, blah, blah. Shout out to Lauren Brownlow too, by the way. Um, this guy, who was your, this guy? I mean, this is the dude that it could either be an absolute person who you see in your nightmares like Harold Arsenault, or it could be somebody that turned out being a freaking hero. Um, you know, just like Marcus Page in any game in Raleigh. Um, so who was your this guy for this game? Uh, we'll start with Greg. I, I was expecting you to go to Sherelle. So I will start. And this is hard for me. Uh, this this title run, much like the 09 run, for me was defined by the point guard. Uh, and so Joel Berry typically reigns supreme when we talk about any of these uh, your player of the game, player of the season, whatever. But I'll go a little bit different because I think the reason North Carolina won this championship is because of Kennedy Meeks. And what we saw against Kentucky, uh, because you've got Bam down low and and Willis down low and a lot of athletic bigs for Kentucky, they were were desperate to shut down UNC's inside game. And so they were effective on the defensive end in limiting what Kennedy and Isaiah could do, which is why Luke was able to come in and knock down some shots. Uh, but this is really the game for me that showed that Kennedy Meeks um, is finally clicked for him. He doesn't need to score. He is going to be a stud uh, defensively and a great rebounder. He, he had a career-high 17 rebounds, season-high four blocks. He was UNC's top uh, defensive player, and I think that kind of showed because this was the fifth time in 11 games that he had been defensive player of the year. Why does that matter? His first 131 games – he had won that award three times. So it had all clicked for him in the last month or so of the season. Uh, and even though he wasn't scoring, he didn't care. He's like, you know what? I don't need to, to score. I mean, we've got Joel. We've got Luke scoring now. Justin doing what Justin does. Theo's playing better. If I can play good defense and I can dominate the glass, we have a chance to win this whole thing. And the way that he played against Kentucky uh, – you know, when you consider what Joel went through, when you consider what Luke did, when you consider Theo's big play there, I mean, Justin Jackson led the team in scoring. So he was far down the list in terms of guys getting accolades for this game. But I really thought he kind of set the table and he, he played a big role in limiting Kentucky to like 41% shooting, whatever it was. Nice play. Tap by Meeks, who gets it back off the glass. Meeks again. And a Kentucky foul. Boy, is that vintage Carolina power at the rim. The big body bump by the Pleasant Kennedy Meeks. <laughs> Use that derriere and belly and stick after it. Oh, that is impressive. I appreciate the stat package that you threw in there, too. Just to reiterate, uh, Greg, hit on these, but Kennedy Meeks in 32 minutes against Bam Adebayo, who is not a pushover by any means. Uh, Two assists, seven points, but 17 rebounds. And something else that I saw, and I noted this from the first half of the game too, was Kennedy had some really well-timed blocks. 
you know, you can say one or two of them may have been fouls, whatever. It kept Kentucky from getting the ball in the basket. And so I, I, I'm glad you mentioned Kennedy. Rel, who you got, man? Who was your this guy? Oh, I have two this guy, so I'm cheating. And I'm sorry. This is the second episode, so sue me. Um, <laughs> it's from Kentucky. Isaiah Briscoe and Isaac Humphreys. And, like, you know, two fine. Humphreys, yes. Two solid players. Like, sure, great. Uh, but Isaiah Briscoe, seven <laughs> points, eight assists in 34 minutes. And you're like, everything about this game was De'Aaron Fox. Man, he's so such a great point guard. Yeah, he's a scoring guard, but he's, you know, he has the ball in his hands, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Briscoe who comes out and is just, you know, looking like Jason Kidd out there. And it's like, what? And then you have Isaac Humphreys, again, someone who was well thought of, um, but I wouldn't consider him a, a key cog in what Kentucky does. Uh, five of eight from the field and just toasting Carolina from the mid-range, just mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper. It was, as a matter of fact, it was his last shot that put Kentucky up 64-59 uh, when it looked like it was kind of slipping away from Carolina. And I'm just thinking the, the same way I was thinking against Arkansas, like this is how they're going to go out. This this is how it's going to happen against Arkansas was <laughs> He's the same the way. Yep. Yeah, it's like Isaiah Briscoe and Isaac Humphreys on a team with, you know, Bam Adebayo and Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox you're telling me that they're going to lose because of Isaac Humphreys and Isaiah Briscoe. And it just, it was frustrating. So it, in my head, I was like, that guy, really? I'm, I'm, I'm cheesing ear to ear. I wish you could see it right now because that was, I remember watching the game real time. I'm like, oh, so it's going to be Isaac Humphreys that kills this season. Um, guys, I may have teased mine earlier in the show and I, I wasn't planning on it, but I think it was Theo. Here's why. He had a very Theo Pinson-like stat line, which, you know, we've all seen plenty of those, you know, 30 minutes, four rebounds, three assists, nine points, whatever. But not only was he literally the difference maker because he didn't play in the first game, but I go back to how much he harassed De'Aaron Fox. And if you guys remember, De'Aaron Fox was coming into this game hot as a firecracker. Uh, and, and the job that Theo did guarding him for a majority of the game, uh, in 28 minutes, you know, De'Aaron Fox had 13 points which I think one of which was a three from the corner in the last minute. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he just, he really was compared to what we expected and what we saw out of him and Malik Monk in the game in December. Uh, he, he was virtually a non-factor. So I'm giving it to Theo uh, just cause I, I think he did very much Theo things in that game. Um, last section uh, or the last, last part. And this is the, this is the part where I'm going to let you get in your feelings, Rel. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you uh, reminisce as much as you want to. Uh, what did you feel rewatching this game, Sherelle? Tell me, tell me the good, the bad, the ugly. But, but what did this, what did this stir up for you? <laughs> a ton. Uh, you know, not to get it too personal, but my wife went into labor 24 hours later uh, with our first child, so it was like, you know, what a moment for Carolina basketball. You know, an incredible game. I rewatched the game that day, uh, March 26th, like twice. And then uh, after I got home from work on the 27th, I watched it again a couple of times. And then I was tired because I was watching basketball so much, you know, over the last 24 hours. And I just couldn't believe how it happened. And some of it's good and some of it's bad because I keep going back to it and we haven't really talked about it. But they were up by seven with 53 seconds left. And somehow, some way, it took Luke May hitting the biggest shot of his life for North Carolina to win the game. Now, you know, that, that shouldn't happen. When you're up seven with 53 seconds left, you shouldn't have to go through what they went through to win the game. 
And it's not like they didn't score again. It's not like they didn't have a crucial jump ball that uh, Luka May secured. It's not like Justin Jackson didn't have a layup. It's not like Malik Monk didn't miss a three in the last minute. But somehow it still came down to Luke May hitting that shot. So um, it's just kind of all over the place because uh, on a personal level, like I said, there was a lot going on with my life. And then just for Carolina basketball and those seniors and, and the key guys from 2016, you're like, you just want them to keep it going for at least one more game. And even when it got to the last game, you're like, keep it going, keep it going. And um, that's just kind of what I thought about was just how they were able to um, do what they did against Arkansas. And it really, it became a trend. Like at that point against Kentucky, they had done it some, they had done it against Arkansas. I was like, okay, they could, they've shown the skill set. They can come back, you know, down four or five with five minutes left. But I think this game really impacted, how could it not, the Oregon and the Gonzaga games because those guys had, you know, I say this all the time, they had literally seen and done basically everything there was to do in college basketball. They had lost an NCAA championship game at the buzzer. They had won, you know, coming back down from five against Arkansas. They had won now coming back down from five with five minutes left against Kentucky. So um, anything they saw against Oregon and and Gonzaga wasn't going to be new. So to me, um, even though it wasn't the exact moment they won the championship, it was the moment I really thought they were going to. Absolutely. Greg, I'm I'm curious to hear from you on this because you covered the game live the first time. What did you, what did you feel with this rewatch or was there something that maybe you picked up on here that you didn't see when you when you were there in person the first time? It's a good question, and I think for me, uh, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but what Joel Berry uh, did for this program and what he did in that moment, he's such a, a tough kid. I don't think people uh, appreciated, and they were they were not able to appreciate how much pain he was in. And rewatching the game, you clearly can see you know, he is not anywhere close to 100%. But yet he, he was still effective. He was still a good floor leader. Uh, Shrell's heard this story. This is this is one of my all-time favorites on, on the beat. Uh, but in 2015, North Carolina lost to Wisconsin in the Sweet 16 at Staples Center. Uh, that was the, you know, the Kaminsky-Wisconsin team that was just loaded. And Carolina lost. And after that game, you know, Marcus Page was doing Marcus Page things. And you know what? We played better late in the year. We wouldn't have been a four seed. We wouldn't have played a team as good as Wisconsin at this point. Bryce Johnson's over in the corner crying because it's what Bryce did. And I see Joel Berry just sitting there by himself, and he's, like, pissed. He's, like, stewing. And so I go over there, and I talk to him because the locker room's open for half an hour after the game. And I go and sit down beside him and start talking to him. And he looks me dead in the eyes. He's like, yeah, he's like, well, you know, we, we got to get back at it because we're going to win a national championship. And I was like, what? This is a true freshman. Didn't play a whole lot. He's like, yeah, we're going to win a national championship. All right, all right whatever. All right, good. Uh, and so when you start watching this game, I kind of agree with Shrell. This is the game where I knew they were going to win it. The fact that he was able to come back from that second ankle injury and play the way that he did, uh, and you couldn't even tell the kid was injured. And, I, you know, when we got to Phoenix, he showed me his ankles. Both of his ankles were swollen and bruised. And I'm sitting there looking at his feet saying, how is this kid even walking on these feet? And yet you can't even tell watching the game how much pain he must be in. Uh, And so that's really more than anything, uh, just his toughness and uh, his leadership uh, really kind of stood out to me. And Greg, you know, conversations with Ben just in Slack and with you, that was one of the reasons that we didn't think Joel Berry, you know, especially once they won the title, was going to come back. 
And right. everyone said, well, you know, Joe Barry, he's six foot, you know, six foot, five eleven, whatever. Uh, he's got no chance to play overseas. But I don't think people, like you said, realize just the the toll it, it took on him between the end of, I guess that Wisconsin game back in 2015 in Los Angeles and when the Gonzaga game ended uh, in 2017. I mean, the kid went through a lot. He he's just was always injured and always was, was battling through stuff. And, you know, our thought process was, and, you know, we had some sources who were kind of backing us up, was that he didn't really want to go through that grind again, especially coming off a national championship. It's like, well, what else is there to do? Now, he ended up coming back. I think he had a lot of fun. And I think once he saw the championship, it was like, oh, well, maybe we can do this again. But that was kind of one of the reasons that we were thinking the way we were and that other people within the program were thinking the way they were was just because the, the kid had battled through so much. And, uh, you know, you don't ter- use the term warrior a lot when it comes to sports, but, um, you know, relatively as it relates to sports, he definitely qualifies as that, I think. Yeah. And a lot of people understand how stubborn Roy Williams is. Um, you, if you're late to anything, you're in trouble. You know, we, we did the story last year where his son was, a split second late to a, a bus ride to the arena for a shoot around. And when he was at Kansas, Roy left him. Uh, and that's just how regimented Roy is. And yet, because Joel Berry was in such bad shape after that Kentucky game, North Carolina completely blew up their schedule and they flew to Phoenix a full day early in case his ankle swelled, which they did. But the fact that they were so dependent on Joe Barry that they changed everything in terms of scheduling to try to get him healthy, I think that, that says a lot about who he is as a player, but also says a lot about how much pain he actually was in. Guys, that's, that's amazing stuff. Um, I'm absolutely captivated by it, and it's kind of one of the things I really was hoping to get out of these podcasts. I, I appreciate y'all kind of pulling back the curtain and letting us hear inside of that. I, you know, you'd always, you always hear these kind of – Bill Brasky-esque stories about certain players. And I think we all knew Joe Barry was a dog. I mean, he had some dog in him. That's what made him so good. And I think what made him such a perfect Roy Williams point guard. But uh, hearing that story, Greg, from after the loss against Wisconsin, which, you know, I don't think most of the listening audience, at least speaking for myself, wouldn't have thought about that. Because, again, he was a freshman. He was a, he was a bit player at that point and somebody that not a lot of people had a, a ton of, you know, a ton of expectation for. But I appreciate you guys sharing that. That's absolutely that's absolutely amazing, and I I'm hoping that we can continue to get this kind of discussion whenever we're going back and looking at these games. Um, and just to to wrap things up, my feelings for it, I had forgotten how tough this team was too. You know, and it, it, it Barry I think personified it. But going back and looking, I mean, there was a point in the first half where uh, Carolina made a little bit of a run. They went down and, and missed the layup, and Justin Jackson got the bunny, and I remember him running off at the mouth at somebody. You know, and that, that was really neat to see, not because he was trash-talking, but because this team had kind of found their step, had kind of found their stroke, had kind of found their stride. And, you know, like you guys, I know it's really easy to say, you know, in retrospect, but like you guys, having, you know, having seen this game really felt like that was the one where they were going to win the title. And, and, and to me – and I'm sure there's probably some other folks that feel like this, that winning this game, while it didn't bring the trophy and cut down the nets, uh, this was this was a lot more of, a, of an impactful game or felt more like a, a championship game than maybe the Gonzaga game did. Um, boys, I, that was a heck of a way to, to finish by both of you guys. Um, can I, can yeah, I fire say away. one last thing? This yeah. is complete selfishness, but I, I, this is one of the things that I'm going to tell my children about. So when Luke makes that shot, 
I am literally uh, eight feet away from him. I'm right at the free throw line on the baseline, just in front of where he made the shot. Really cool to see all the reaction, blah, blah, blah. After the game, and Mark Armstrong was in on this, uh, but after all the press conferences finished up, there was a handful of us that, that stole a basketball somewhere sitting around in the underbelly of, of the FedEx uh, facility there. Stop. We go out and we, we reenact that, that shot. And I'll, I'll be honest, it took me a couple of times to make it. But you, that, I mean, <laughs> that's like a childhood thing, right? I mean, it's like a childhood dream. Uh, I don't know how many kids across this, across this state went out that afternoon or that evening after that game and tried to make that shot. That's what we watch sports for. I mean, it's just a, it's a dream scenario. Uh, that was the first game-winning shot in the final 10 seconds for North Carolina since when? You guys know? Rick Fox. It, Rick oh, God. Fox. Yeah, Rick Fox Oklahoma. Oklahoma, number yeah. one. That's right. Billy Tubbs. So we're talking about, a, what is that? I'm not good at math here. 27 years. Um, so it's, it's a very rare thing. It's a generational type play that Luke may had. Uh, and so to be able to go out there and, and you know, take a shot from that point, that, that was a very fun moment uh, where you can actually take off the journalist tag and, and just be a basketball fan and, and have some good times with it. Monk to tie it. Oh, an impossible shot. Pinson with five, looks up. Driving in. May for the win. North Carolina with 0.3 seconds to go. An incredible shot. Wow. (laughs) Maybe some major onions. How about that kid, the way he has played the chain of events? I'm not believing either one of them. First Monk and then May. And they are dancing on Franklin Street right now. Hey, man, that's what we're here for, is, is kind of finding that commonality that you get in being a fan and, and reliving these games. And, you know, I won't clown you that it took you a few times to hit that shot because, <laughs> you know, we all know how easy it is, right? That's, right. Um, that's great, man. I, I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Uh, boys, with that, I'm going to start trying to wind things down. Uh, any parting shots you guys want to take here? Anything that – um. Anything that maybe we we didn't touch on that you felt like just you can't have a discussion about a, a review of this game without mentioning blank? I'll go. And you know what I'm going to say, because I say it to you all the time. But you can't go into this game without talking about just how incredible and how once in a lifetime the rise of Luke May uh, was. Because prior he had had some moments, you know, earlier in the season, sure. Um, he played decently at Duke when Isaiah Hicks was injured. He played pretty well in that game, actually. And that kind of was a, you know, showed people what was going to happen later on in his career. But just how that one shot, and we talk to people within the program all the time. And one of the things they say is that Luke May has an irrational self-confidence. And that one moment you would think he's Kobe Bryant because of the way he hits clutch shots. And the next moment, maybe he's down on himself. But um it is just fun to see after he hit that shot and how he went from, you know, where he was to uh, hitting that shot to becoming an all American, just watching that progression. And to me that, that shot and maybe the Butler game a little bit too, that, that shot really just pushed him into a, another realm as far as a basketball player. And it's really fun to see. And, and I just, I think people sometimes forget 
just what kind of a story that that was. And I don't want that to ever be diminished or, or, or looked over because it really truly was phenomenal that a, a player who had, you know, had some offers and, and had some skills and we thought would be good, but no one, no one, no one, I don't care who they are outside of the Smith center thought that Luke may would be a, a regional MVP and end up being an all American the next season. And it's just an incredible story of, of uh, time and, and opportunity and, you know, you hit one big shot. And I don't think he scored in the Final Four. That's the, the crazy part. I don't think he scored at all in the Final Four. But just the confidence he gained from that one shot forever affected the North Carolina program moving forward just because of how well he played um, the next two seasons. So I, I want to make sure that that is never forgotten, just how incredible of a story that Luke May was that weekend and moving forward. Yeah, and that's, that's the romantic part of it to me, Sherelle, is what happened in Phoenix. Um, yes, they won the title, but he was not a, a big key in terms of production in doing that. And I think a lot of us thought he would be like, oh, this is his coming out party in Memphis. No, nope, this was this is his moment to step up and help the team. And he did what needed to be done for North Carolina to live and survive in advance. Uh, he shot his shot. He, he did what he needed to do, and then he let everybody else take over. His time would come. Uh, but But what he did in Memphis – uh, which is a very cool place to watch a ball game. Just, just to say, uh, was it an incredible story? And I do. I, I think you're exactly right. And the fact that he did not produce the way a lot of us thought he would in Phoenix only adds to that, and only makes it that much more special. Well, boys, just like that shot uh, was a mic drop moment. If this was a video medium, I would drop a mic, and we could all just walk off the stage because that was a heck of a way to end what has been a what I feel like a really fun episode reviewing a really amazing game between two high caliber teams. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on and share your experiences and make this such a, a full and enjoyable discussion about a, a, a really great game. Uh, I want to give one more shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring Inside Carolina, Inside Carolina content, podcasts, everything. Go visit them, johnnytshirt.com. If you guys will make sure to stick around, listeners, uh, we're going to have our uh, post show, our, our after game, whatever you want to call it. But we're going to have our interview with Kennedy Meeks, who we talked about earlier, had such a whale of a game uh, playing inside in this in this game against Kentucky. So we're going to talk to Kennedy a little bit later. So stick around the other side and we'll hear that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, gang, this is a real treat. We've got the guy on the line right now that holds the UNC record for most rebounds in an NCAA tournament. He started all 40 games his senior year at Carolina. 
And since we're talking about the 2017 game against Kentucky, you can't think about that game and not think about the fact that this guy personally dominated the glass in that game. Kennedy Meeks, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, man. How about you? I, I can't complain. We're we're excited to kind of go back and look at the look at the highlights from that that 2017 Elite Eight game. First off, tell us what you personally remember most about that game. I mean, well, of course, the biggest uh, thing I could take back away from that game was Luke's shot. Um, I think that it definitely solidified him um, as a legend at our school, and uh, of course, it carried him for the, those last two years he had, and he did such a great job. And um, I think that was definitely the, the biggest part of that game, though. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's the indelible memory that most of us have. Um, okay, so early in the year, you guys had played mm-hmm. Kentucky and Vegas. It was a warp speed game. It ended up, you know, Carolina falling just short, 103 to 100. When you're yeah. getting ready for a game like this rematch in the Elite Eight in Memphis, did that game from December come into your mind at all? Or, or you know, or, or is it just kind of something that you have to tune out because it's lose or go home? How, how do you how do you consider a, a prior meeting like that when you're going into an Elite Eight game against them? Well, I think the the first thing that Coach Williams uh, wanted to eliminate was Malik Monk. I think, um, of course, the first the first game he had like forty seven points, and our main objective was just to stop him and the rest to take care of itself. And I think we did a great job, um, even though he hit those two big shots towards the end of the game. Uh, I think that uh, we did our job and we did our job respectively, uh, thanks to Coach and the coaching staff. Yeah, I definitely think that you guys did a good job of taking uh, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk away from most of the game. <laughs> You're yeah. exactly right. They hit yeah. those two ridiculous shots at the end. But for the most yeah. part, you know, you guys have kind of locked them down. Yeah, it was a good game, though. Um, you had an amazing personal run in the NCAA tournament, but it kind of started with with this game and then the next game against Oregon. You had the, you know 30-plus points and 30-plus rebounds with both of those two games put together. Looking back on it now, do you feel like there was anything mm-hmm. different about your mentality for for the for this game and the ones right after it? Well, I think me personally, I think that it started with the, our first or well, our second game against Arkansas when um, it was a good tight game, and then I hit the left hand tip in for us to go ahead. And um, I think after that game, it was just about locking in and wanting to do it the next game. I think that's what we did each and every time. I think that we took care of business. Um, I know that they said. <laughs> Our national championship game was kind of sloppy game, but I think that um, it just shows you how resilient uh, that team was uh, coming off of the loss against another year before. So, absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned that too because that comeback against Arkansas, you know, it, it, yeah. I think it probably keyed into you guys, you know, as you mentioned, because because you know there was a there was a, a point in the Kentucky game where where you guys kind of had a lull in the second half where just nothing was going down. When that's happening in the yeah. course of a game of that magnitude, how do you get yourselves out of it? Man, it's tough, um, but I think that's what you, you practice for. I think that's what you work out on your own for. Those moments like that where you got to figure out how to get out of the swamps. And uh, Justin uh, hit some big shots. Luke got some big rebounds for us. And I think that we played great as a team, and that's what led us to that win. Uh, but it's 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 not a good feeling in the game when you are making these shots. And um, it's a win-to-go-home situation. So, um, thankfully, the ball rolled. Um, on our side, more times than theirs, and we came out on top. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Justin. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on something he said a little bit later. Uh, everybody remembers Luke's shot, like you said earlier, but none yeah. of that happens if Kennedy Meeks doesn't have the alertness and the mental acuity 
to take that ball out of bounds and immediately, like right after the chaos of, of yeah, Malik yeah. shot, and you immediately triggered it yeah. to Theo. I got to know, mm-hmm. with the chaos happening around you, the crowd going nuts, mm-hmm. the game on the line, how do you stay that calm to trigger that play? Man, I think, of course, it's a part of his leadership. I think that's something that coach, um, the coaching staff, instilled in me over the years. I think uh, I've been in those situations before, but um, on the bench in my freshman year and that situation like that before. And I feel like I could have been that guy to to make a difference. So um, Coach just told us when the other team makes a shot, try to get the ball as fast as possible. And that's all I could think about. And luckily I passed the ball up and Theo gave the ball to Luke for the for the big shot, man. But that's I think that's definitely a, a big play. Uh, one of the biggest IQ plays for me definitely was was that that moment absolutely and don't think there's a lot of Tar Heel fans out there myself included that that you know we 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 definitely noticed how big of a, a an impact you had by making that play and taking it right out of the net and going out of bounds with it it's um yeah. it does speak I think to to your practice and your preparation the fact that you know even with with the world collapsing around around you you know you kind of went through yeah. the motions and did what you were supposed to do I noticed you yeah, were a trigger man for a lot of uh you were a trigger man for a lot of inbounds plays. Did you feel like that was just kind of your role uh, as you guys got later in the year? I know a lot of it has to do with the way Coach draws up, uh, Coach Williams draws up mm-hmm. the the offensive set. But did you kind of feel like, all right, this is this is where I can really kind of fit in? In addition to the rebounding, in addition to the the post score, uh, do you feel like triggering those yeah. inbounds was your was your thing? Well, I think, uh, like I said, man, Coach Williams had the confidence in me for me to be the guy who takes the ball out. Uh, I know in most situations, the five-man taking out is rare, but um, I think that he trusted me enough uh, for me to make the right decisions. Um, so I think that that was definitely a big big part for me um, as far as Coach Williams trusting me um, in those situations. Yeah. Um, on a recent Inside Carolina podcast, you mentioned Justin Jackson earlier. He uh, mm-hmm. he told Taylor Vipless that Kennedy saved us in the tournament so many times. What does it mean yeah. to hear your former teammate say that about you? Like three years later, what does that what does that mean to you? Man, I think it uh, it's a special thing for me because that's all I really cared about. Man, is, is how I made my teammates happy, um, how I could help them uh, get the win, uh, and then of course with basketball players, somebody's. Um, we got to get a little more energy, but I think for the most part, I gave it my all. I gave my all to my team. Um, and, of course, everybody knows Justin is my, my guy, my little brother. And um, he's such a great player. I think he's one of the best players that I've ever played with. Um, but for him to say that definitely means a lot to me. It means the world to me. So you had 17 rebounds in this game. Unofficially, I think I, I counted 51 or 52, but 17 is what the box, <laughs> 17 is what the box score says. When, you, when yeah. you're trying to get your mind right to go up against a guy like Bam Adebayo, what are you thinking mm-hmm. and, and what's, what's going through your head as the game goes on to allow you to just own the glass the way you did in this game? Well, man, you got to understand, like, Bam was a, as a, was a freshman. I was a senior. Um, I had a lot more experience than him on that le- on the college level, um, playing at a high level. I mean, of course, he's going to be an all-star now, which is uh, special in itself. But um, I just think um, just just take him away from his spots, not give him too many easy dunks. I mean, I, had, I think that year he had the most dunks in the NCAA. So uh, my main objective was just to put my body on him as much as possible, wear him down, um, because I knew that 
Um, I wasn't going to give up my team, and I don't think he did either. Um, it was just one of those situations where our team was better than their team that night. Um, I think that that speaks for um, how hard we practice, how hard we train, how hard we focus on uh, nutrition and all those type of things to help us translate over to the court. So. A little gamble by Meeks. Out of bio every time he's gotten it down low, they've given him fits. Yeah, and they nice are double, right? They are swarming him. But wow, that's two great blocks by Meeks. I love that you talked about the fact that you were a vet and he was a freshman because I definitely remember at some point in that game, and I wish I remember the minute time where you pulled the chair out from under him one time. Um, yeah, that's that, that's that's mm-hmm. just hey, I know it's that's a that's a rebounder's trick. I I appreciate seeing you pull that off, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, so where does this game rank with all the games that you played in your career at Carolina? Kentucky game? Mm-hmm. I think the Kentucky game, for me, um, rebounding-wise, is probably one or two for me in my career at Carolina. Um, overall game, I would probably say top five. I mean, I've one has to be really... the championship. Yeah, oh, for sure. That's that's number one, definitely. Both championships, actually, are number one. Going back to, to this to this game, you know, if, if there's – if there's is there any story from from the locker room or from maybe the, the plane ride home or anything that, that you want to share with our listeners that maybe we hadn't heard before? Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> this game in Memphis against Kentucky, um, I have this cousin. Uh, his name is Trey, and he's the biggest Duke fan in the world, <laughs> right? So he came to see me out in Memphis with my mom, my aunt, and cousins. And uh, it was the first time I ever seen him in a Carolina blue shirt. And I remember looking over in the game, <laughs> like crunch time in the game. Like, man, like I really got my big cousin to to wear a bright Carolina shirt, plain shirt on the sideline. So I thought that was, that was a cool moment for me um, because without family, you don't have anything. So that's the biggest thing, man. Hey man, that's 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 a huge win in and of itself. You, you know, you oh absolutely you, huge rebound tonight. You make it to the Final Four. You knock off Kentucky, and you finally got your cousin to come around wear the right shade of blue. That's <laughs> big time, man. Exactly. That's what it's all. Well, about. Kennedy, I appreciate you taking the time and talking to us. Uh, I'm sure all of our listeners in South Carolina are going to love to hear from you. Uh, what are you up to now? So you can just let everybody know. I mean, obviously times are weird, but. Uh, when when yeah. things get back up and playing, where are you going to be playing so everybody will know if they want to follow you? Oh, uh, well, this past season I was in Japan, um, in Hokkaido. Uh, very cold there, but uh, <laughs> we had an okay season. But I think that um, Japan is a, a great place to go and play to encourage anyone who's looking for a great competition and a great home. I think Japan is, is a good place. Uh, next year, hopefully we can figure something out. Um, here, but if not, um, I I will most likely be Japan. So, well, it's great to hear from you. We appreciate you making time to to kind of go in the wayback machine and throw back to the the Kentucky game in 2017. Absolutely, uh, congratulations on all your success. Yeah, we appreciate uh, appreciate you talking to us. We'll catch you down the road. Okay, all right. Thanks, Joy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-man. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing.